Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Good morning and happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I I was blessed by the uh, kids video this morning. Peter's kids are the best, but I think it's unfair that he has young kids to uh, trot out in front of the rest of us to make us look uh, not as cute and as uh, cuddly as he is, but Happy Father's Day, nonetheless. I've, I've been uh, promoted from welcome and announcement guy to uh, sermon guy today, so I'm privileged to be in front of you to uh, talk through more of uh, what we're doing with this Holy Spirit series, and uh, I'm excited about what God has for us as we uh, look into this today. But let's, let's take a step back uh, for a couple weeks and, and see where Peter's had us uh, for the first three weeks of this series. We've talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is uh, God. Uh, that the Holy Spirit is not an it, but a he. He has personality. He's active in our life. Uh, we saw that he's our helper, that he reminds us of what Jesus himself taught us and brings that to our, our mind when uh, it's appropriate. And, and then last week we saw that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf uh, and prays for us when we don't know what to say or how to say it. The Holy Spirit has promised uh, to intercede uh, for us. So uh, it's, it's an awesome place to be as we think about the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. And, and today we want to delve in a little bit more uh, into that whole idea of how the Holy Spirit really shows up uh, in our life. Uh, I've, I've found throughout at least my walk with God and throughout history in general that there are opportunities to get confused about the role of the Holy Spirit. And let me just be clear that this confusion does not come from God, but it comes from uh, us as human beings and how we interpret and understand uh, the Holy Spirit. So it's not God's confusion, but it's, it's the way we understand and interact with the Holy Spirit that brings some confusion. And so some people will say that you need to uh, pray or to speak in tongues uh, in order to be saved, or they might say that uh, to pray and to speak in tongues is proof that the Holy Spirit is in your life. And, and I just want to say this as we jump into this this morning, that it, it's my belief that uh, tongues speaking is uh, a evidence, it's, it's uh, an example of the, the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, in our life, but it is not the uh, evidence. And so we need to recognize that it's, it's one part of it, uh, the, the uh, tongue speaking and the other gifts that are manifested in our life are just that. They're an outward manifestation of what's going on uh, inside of us. So we need to be reminded that uh, the Holy Spirit's much bigger than one particular doctrinal thing. And as we walk through this, we want to try to eliminate as much confusion as we can. So that being said, we want to jump into the big question for the the day, and that is this. How do I know and how do I experience the presence of the Holy Holy Spirit uh, in my life? Now, sometimes for me, it's helpful uh, to look at my relationship with God as kind of like a recipe that uh, God's revealed himself in my life. Uh, that he's given uh, me, he's given us the word of God, the Bible, uh, that creation speaks to the glory and, and the, the greatness of God, and that he's given us all the tools we need to have a relationship uh, with him. And it's like a recipe that we need to learn to, to put together just the way that he has given it to us so that we can better understand our relationship with him. And I don't know about you, but there are times when uh, I've got a recipe in front of me and I may want to shortcut the recipe just a little bit. Maybe I don't have a particular ingredient in front of me or perhaps uh, I don't like that particular ingredient, so I'll leave it out of the recipe altogether. 
and think that the recipe is going to taste just the same as it should, and, and I'm often disappointed. And I just want to give you one example in my own life. Uh, years ago, I made or well, tried to make some chocolate chip cookies, and the recipe called for a cube of butter softened. And I thought to myself, well, why, why just soften it? Why don't I just melt it and put it into the recipe? It's going to get melted anyway. And I know some of you bakers are uh, gritting your teeth right now because you know what happened when the cookies got uh, baked. They did, not, they did not look like these uh, tasty ones right here, but they spread all over the bottom of the pan because I melted the butter before I put it into uh, the recipe. So I want us to be uh, careful as we think about that analogy and we think about uh, our relationship with God and more importantly, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, that we really try not to take a shortcut, that we recognize that God's uh, got a plan for how he wants to interact in our lives and how he wants to work in our lives, and we need to stay on task with that. So let's jump into this and uh, answer that question. How do I know and how do I experience uh, the, the presence of the Holy, Holy Spirit in my life. And so let's look at Romans 8. There are plenty of places that we could look. Uh, so there's some great uh, verses in uh, Scripture for us to look at. But I, I love Romans 8. And we want to look at Romans 8, 5 through 11. So if you've got a Bible this morning, I would encourage you to open it up uh, to Romans. And then we'll be jumping around to a couple other passages. But let's look at this. So this is Romans 8, starting at verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal, mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. So let me make two quick observations out of Romans 8 here that I think are important for us. The first, uh, as, and we need to recognize here that, that Paul is writing to a, a Christian church. So he's writing to Christians here. The first uh, observation is that there is this tension. There's this tension between the life controlled by the flesh, as Paul calls it, and the life controlled by the Spirit of God. And these two kind of are in competition with one another. There's, there's other places in Romans and other places in the New Testament that Paul refers to this old and new, this good and evil. There's this tension that uh, is happening. And we need to recognize that that's happening uh, for us as well. And then secondly, Paul's reminding the Christians here that the Holy Spirit of God is indeed living in them. And so as we walk through this and as we try to understand how the Holy Spirit shows up in our life, these two things are going to be important for us to to uh, grasp onto. We, we need to understand that there is this tension going on within us and that as believers, as followers of Jesus, if you're in that category this morning, uh, that, that we can be confident that the Holy Spirit uh, lives within us. So let's get into this. How do we know and experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life? And the first thing I want to say is this. You, I must be, you must be, we must be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, five verse 18 
says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Great, great verse. And I want to do a little bit of uh, Greek work here with you right now. It's pretty simple. Don't panic. But right here, Paul's using a Greek word. The word is peres, and it means to be filled. It means to be actually crammed full, to be complete. And this verb is in the present imperative tense. Now, when we're talking about the present tense in Greek, this is an ongoing action, a continual action. So the idea here is that we are continually being filled. Paul is saying, please continue to be filled. In fact, it's in the imperative uh, tense, so it is a command. So the present imperative is a command from God that we are to be continually filled with the Spirit of God. And then lastly, it's in the passive voice. So this is something that the Holy Spirit is doing to us. This is not ourselves being filled with the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit filling us. So the idea here that Paul's communicating is that we are to continually, moment by moment, be allowing the Spirit of God to fill us. It's a command from God to be filled with the Spirit. Now, why would Paul use this kind of language? Why would he make it a command? Why would he make it in the present tense so it would continually be a continual action? And I believe it's because Paul knew that we were broken, that we are broken, we're cracked, that we leak. We can get filled and it's going to leak right out of us. And we're, not, and we're going to need that continual filling from the Holy Spirit. So Paul knows our human nature. He knows how we're put together. And he knows that we need the Holy Spirit in our life. So when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, we're really talking about being controlled by the Spirit of God. That if we are filled, we're allowing the Spirit to have control of our life. And I really feel like this is a, a pivotal question that every one of us needs to ask. We need to ask ourselves this very question, who or what? is in control of my life. This morning as you sit and as you are in the presence of God, we ask ourselves, who is in control of my life? We don't like this idea of giving up control. We, we like to be in control. I like to be in control. When I think about giving up control, it gets scary. We start asking questions like, well, what if God does this? Or it can be threatening to my comfort. If I do give in and I'll let the Spirit control my life, he might ask me to do something I'm not comfortable with. It might involve change. I might have to change something in my life. If I give control to God, I'm going to have to change what I do, how I think, how I act. It's scary. And ultimately, we have to admit when we give control to the Holy Spirit in our life that my way isn't working. And again, we don't like that kind of thinking. So in this passage in, in Romans chapter 8, uh, he says that the, Paul says that the person living by the flesh is really driven by their own desires. It's, it's, it's how they are naturally uh, put together. And he says the, the person controlled by the Spirit of God is controlled uh, by God, has given up control of their life, and is allowing God to work in their life. And so I want to say this this morning, that until we come to the point that we are willing to relinquish control of our life to God, we are never really going to experience the full presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so if we're struggling with that, if we're struggling with how the Holy Spirit works in my life, we have to recognize that until I'm willing to give up 
control and allow the Holy Spirit to control my life, I'm never going to fully experience that presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. So the first idea of how I know and experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life is I need to be filled with the Spirit. Secondly, I need to see evidence of the Spirit's activity. Now in the book of Acts, especially early on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, when we see the Holy Spirit coming really for the first time into people's lives, we see incredible proof and evidence of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. So it's clear throughout Scripture that when God is present in people's lives, there is evidence uh, that that's the case. So as we work through this this morning, I want us to understand what's true for people in the New Testament, what's true for people uh, throughout history is true for us today, that when the Holy Spirit is present in our life, there's going to be evidence uh, that that's the case. So let's look at what that might look like. Uh, If I will see evidence of the Spirit's activity, what does this activity look like? The first thing I would say is that there's going to be power. Uh, Jesus himself said this very thing. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And so we know that one of the promises that we got uh, from Jesus about the Holy Spirit indicated that there would be power that was going to be uh, present in our life when the Holy Spirit uh, comes into our life. And that means that there's going to be renewed boldness, that we're going to uh, be able to boldly and courageously testify about what God is doing in our life. Uh, And as we think about even the places that God's put us uh, in this world, whether it's your workplace, your home, uh, maybe with your uh, extended family, within your neighborhood, there there are all sorts of places that God has called us into and he promises to be with us as we go into those places to be witnesses for him. And he promises to to give us that boldness and that courage and that power as we rely on the Holy Spirit. We see that obviously in the lives of the, the disciples, don't we? When, when they uh, were afraid, at, when Jesus was, had been crucified and he's uh, buried and he's in the tomb those three days, they've got themselves locked up in a room because they're afraid for their own lives. But just a few weeks later, uh, the Holy Spirit has come they're now standing in front of crowds testifying and preaching about who this Jesus is. So we see this power evident uh, in their lives for sure. In our own circumstances, though, we need to ask, I think, the question, what does this power look like, look like in our life? And, and I would suggest that the, the best way that we can see the evidence of God's power in our life is through life transformation or life change. And when we start looking at our own lives and we look at ourselves before we came to faith, in Jesus, and then what we're experiencing now, we see in many cases, and, and in some of our cases, I would say a radical change. But for all of us, we can certainly point to a way our life has been transformed and is being uh, transformed as we move ahead in our relationship with God. But there's this boldness in our life. There's uh, maybe a change of thinking uh, that our values are going to change, our priorities are changing, the things that we used to think. Uh, that life was all about uh, no longer hold much value for us and we're recognizing that there are new things that we need to invest our life in and, and be uh, concerned about. There's a, we have a different perspective on sin, uh, don't we? we? We want to avoid sin, obviously, but we also uh, have uh, some victory over sin and we, we don't have to be uh, enslaved to an old way of living. The Holy Spirit gives us victory and begins to change our hearts and our desires and what we want our life to look like. 
So life transformation is part of this evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And then probably the most obvious one would be this idea that there are the fruit or there are gifts of the Spirit. Now this would be something that we could unpack in a whole series. As a matter of fact, uh, Pastor Peter's got a series on Galatians coming uh, very soon and we'll be talking about the fruit of the Spirit. But when we think about uh, what's evident in our life, Paul was very clear in Galatians chapter 5. In fact, he goes into great detail uh, about what a life looks like away from God and also what a life looks like when it's yielded and submitted to God. And this fruit of the Spirit, this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all these things are evident in our life when the Holy Spirit is present in our life. And then in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, and other places as well, but 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has gifted each of us uh, to build up and to encourage uh, the church. And so we recognize that this is another part of the evidence that the Holy Spirit is active in our life that there is going to be fruit, that there are going to be gifts, there's going to be things that supernaturally come up through us that we can't generate in ourselves. This is something that God's doing in us uh, that's generating this fruit in our life. And so we've got power, we've got life change, we've got the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit. And then lastly, there's a passion to glorify Jesus Christ. If we go back to that Ephesians 5 passage that uh, Paul talked about being filled with the Spirit, he goes on to talk about that we need to speak to one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, that we need to worship uh, God together, that we need to be thankful for what God has done in our life. And so there, when the Holy Spirit is in our life and active in our life, there is going to be a passion to see God glorified in our life. So here's the bottom line as it relates to the Holy Spirit's evidence and activity in our life. When the Holy Spirit truly shows up in our life, God is the one who's glorified, not ourselves or any other person. If God is not glorified, you are working with something other than the Holy Spirit. And so we need to put that test uh, across our own lives and just ask, who's being glorified here? What's, What's my motivation? What's happening in my life? And we'll recognize if God's being glorified, we know the Holy Spirit's active in our life. So this leads to two other quick questions I want to finish with uh, this morning. The second question of the day is this, how do I receive the Holy Spirit or, or how is it that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? And in the book of Mark, early on in the book of Mark, John the Baptist is on the scene and Jesus is getting ready to show up and, and John the Baptist says this in, in a prophecy about Jesus. He says, after me comes one who is more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then later in the book of Acts, we see Jesus in Acts chapter 1 saying a very similar thing that John the Baptist had said about him years previous. Jesus said this. This is right after his resurrection. While he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I want to pause here just briefly and address something that I think becomes a bit of a confusion uh, in, in, as we start talking about this idea of being baptized uh, with the Holy Spirit. There are those that talk about having some kind of powerful encounter with God or with the Holy Spirit subsequent to their coming to faith or becoming a Christian. So they become a Christian and then somewhere down the line they have this powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. It might involve speaking in tongues, it might not. Um, 
but they, that is often called being baptized uh, by the Spirit. And I just want to be clear that it, from my perspective, that the Holy Spirit, I believe, comes on us when we come to faith in Jesus. Now, I, I do believe that there are times after we come to faith in Christ that we will have in, uh, powerful encounters with God that will, that will radically even change maybe how we live our life and, and how we interact with other people. But I want to say this, I, I believe the Holy Spirit comes into our life when we come to faith in Jesus. And so there can be confusion about that, but to kind of clear it up, let's look again at Romans chapter 8, because I think this helps us to understand what Paul was saying. Paul says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit, because of his spirit who lives in you. So Paul was clear with the, the Roman Christians that the, the spirit of God was alive in them as they came to faith in Jesus. And so before we uh, move to the, the, my last question of, of the morning, I, I want to just pause right here and say, uh, if, if you're thinking to yourself, okay, uh, I want to know and experience the Holy Spirit in my life, and I know I need to be filled with the Spirit, and apparently I'm filled with the Spirit when I come to faith in Jesus, and maybe you have not really come to that point in your life. And uh, each week when we're uh, together, we, we talk, uh, Peter goes through the ABCs, this idea of admitting uh, our need uh, for God in our life, that we admit that we're a sinner, we admit that we can't do life on our own, uh, that we need God to come and rescue us out of our old way of living, that we need to, we need to then be, believe that uh, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that uh, he wants to renew our life um, by the Holy Spirit, and that, see, we choose, we choose that free gift of salvation and that gift of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in our life. And it's as simple as praying uh, those three things, that we, that we admit we need uh, Jesus in our life, that we believe uh, that God sent him uh, to uh, save us from our sins and that we choose uh, to follow him uh, every day. So let me uh, just pray uh, for those of you maybe this morning that are thinking that that's a need in your, your life. Let me, let me pray for you. God, I, I'm grateful uh, for the fact that you love us, that you uh, desire a relationship with us, and that, Holy Spirit, you want to come into our life as we uh, come to faith in you. So, Father, if there are those this morning that need to make that decision, that need to pray that prayer, that they would have the courage and they would have the boldness to approach you uh, with that prayer this morning. God, we thank you for the free gift of salvation that you uh, bring to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, then there's a third, uh, there's a third uh, part of this that I want us to um, finish with this morning. And it's this question that I think is super important because if we recognize that we need to be filled with the Spirit and we kind of know the nuts and bolts uh, of the uh, conceptual part of what it means to have the Holy Spirit in our life, I think the third question is, uh, a, a practical one, and that is how do I best experience this presence or this evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life? How do I experience it? What, are there things that I can do? Are there, are there ways that I can arrange my life to better and uh, experience the Holy Spirit in my life? And so I want to suggest four quick things. First, uh, I need to be emptied of my old self, my old desires, my old way of living, my, my self-centered life. It's hard to fill something that's already full, right? 
If I haven't set aside some of these things in my life and, and recognize that my way of living isn't working or my, my choices aren't working for me, I need to create uh, space for the Holy Spirit to fill me. But if I keep jamming myself full of my own thoughts and desires, it's going to be hard for me to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. So I need to be emptied of my old self so that the Holy Spirit uh, can fill me uh, more completely. The second thing is I need to check my motives. My motives have got to be right. Uh, who, who am I looking to glorify here? Uh, am I trying to better my own circumstances or am I really desiring to have God glorified in my life? You know, there's a story in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 8. There's a, a gentleman named Simon uh, who was making some money in, in a particular community. And Philip uh, came preaching the gospel and Simon saw the incredible things that were happening and, and Simon uh, came to faith in Jesus. And as he saw what the Holy Spirit was doing, he came to the disciples and said, hey, uh, I, I want to buy, buy from you the ability to pass on the Holy Spirit to people. And Peter stopped him and just said, you know what, your money needs to just perish with you because your motives aren't right, basically. That you wanted to glorify yourself, Simon. And God's the one that needs to get the glory. And so when we think about that in our own circumstances, we need to ask, am I wanting the church to be encouraged? Am I wanting God to be glorified? Or is this about me? I need to check my motives. Thirdly, I've got to create uh, and establish a space in my life to listen to and to hear the Holy Spirit uh, in my life. And let me just say, this is, a, this is a lifelong pursuit. This is not something that happens by just setting aside time for a week or a couple of weeks. This is something that over, over the, the length of my uh, relationship with God thus far, uh, I've hopefully learned better what it means to listen to the Spirit of God in my life, but this is something I see as a lifelong uh, pursuit and something I need to learn, continue to learn to get better at. And I thought I would illustrate that by uh, just sharing with you something that happened in my life this last week. A, a week ago, we were at our home church meeting, and uh, the adults were out in the, the front room as we were listening to Peter preach, and the kids were in the, in the back room. And all of a sudden, there was some crying in the, the back room, and uh, David, one of the dads, got up immediately. He recognized immediately that it was his son uh, crying. And so David got up, uh, went back, and took care of whatever was wrong in the back room. And it, it just occurred to me as I watched that happen that that was an example of a dad that had spent time with and knew his son's voice. He recognized it right away. And the only way that happens is as we take the time and we spend time together. And, and that's very true of our relationship with God. Something else happened uh, this week that just brought this uh, completely home to me. I was uh, sitting at home uh, on Wednesday morning, sorry, Tuesday morning, and uh, my dog, Buddy, was curled up on my lap, and I was doing my reading, and he was, Buddy was sleeping, and so I'm doing my reading, and all of a sudden in the kitchen, there was just this little click sound. I know exactly what it was. It was a coffee pot. It made a click sound. But as soon as it clicked, Buddy jumped up, started yapping, running all around the house, woke my wife up, went out to the front window barking, ran out in the backyard barking, found nobody, found nothing, came back and curled up on my lap, and I continued to read. Three minutes later, something else made noise in the kitchen. He jumps up, starts yapping, runs around the house like a crazy dog uh, because he thinks something's happening. 
And so as I was contrasting these two things, we've got David and his son and we've got Buddy the dog. It just occurred to me that as I think about my relationship with God and my pursuit of the Holy Spirit, I want to be more like David. And I want to be less like Buddy. And I would, I would just encourage you the same way. The only way that we're going to truly understand and really be able to hear and recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is that if we create space and make time and really work to listen and discern God's voice. That happens through his word, obviously. That happens through spending time in prayer. That happens as we interact with one another. There are, there are all sorts of tools that God has given us to make this happen. But let's be more like David and let's be less like Buddy. And then fourthly, we need to be obedient. We have to be obedient to what God asks us to do. Um, I'm reminded of the rich young ruler in the, the New Testament who came to Jesus and asked him about eternal life. And Jesus talks to him a little bit and basically says, go sell all that you have and you can, you can have uh, eternal life or you can have what you ask. And the man went away sad because he had great wealth and he did not want to give that up. It's one thing to uh, recognize the truth. It's another thing to respond in obedience. And, and Pastor Peter has said on other occasions that obedience is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. This is, this is something that we do that creates action uh, in our life. And it's, it's action in response to a request in our life. So God desires us to know him. God desires us to know uh, the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And one of the ways that we experience this best is as we listen and hear God's work, we respond in obedience. And so that would be my encouragement as we think about wanting to experience uh, God's presence in our life, that we, we learn to empty ourselves and, and recognize that we need to create space in our life for God to come and, and work in our life, that we would be uh, have the right motives, that we would recognize that we want to glorify God with our life, and then when we hear that, uh, we would respond in obedience. That's my encouragement to you uh, this morning. As we finish up this morning, I, I want to finish with a, a prayer that I've kind of cobbled together from the uh, book of Ephesians. A couple passages in there that I find uh, really meaningful. And it's a prayer that I would like to be true of my life. And really as a congregation, I hope it would be uh, true of us as a congregation. And we think about God working within us and the, his power uh, in our life. So join me as we pray together. God in heaven, glorious Father, would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. We pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people and your inc incomparable power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength you exerted when you raised Christ from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And you placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. For this reason, we kneel before you. We pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. We pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love. 
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to you who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.